Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Dimp Bible Student Ministries Sunday morning. Again, another welcome. Where have you been? Welcome, Keats. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I want to say it again. I'm, man, my name is Keaton, and I have the privilege of just being able to uh, share God's word with you this morning and also just getting to run alongside uh, teenagers here at Dimp Bible Church. So if this is your first Sunday or if it's your 101st Sunday, welcome again. And I have a, a few things I want to say to y'all that you probably saw during the Mingle Mingle time. We do that so everyone has a chance to make sure you can find everyone that you know and uh, or make new friends and find a place to sit. And, and so we do that. We have this little trolley back there. And so it's red. We're going to get like some lights on it. We actually have two of those. And you're going to see some students walking around with this uh, Welcome Connects trolley, right? We may get a little horn for it or a little bell, like ding, 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 you know, no snacks uh, yet. Uh, Ice cold lemon chills. Um, get your peanuts. No, not yet. But they have things like this. I uh, had a lot of coffee this morning, so hang on. So we've got uh, Connects cards and for you if this is your first Sunday um, with us or you brought a visitor and they can fill this out so we can know who's coming here and we can get you a goodie bag, a welcome bag. We also have prayer cards. And so we want to be, uh, we meet every Monday as a staff around our big table and we want to pray for you guys. And so it would help us if you Man, bring us into your world. And some things, if, if, you're, if you're wanting to write something and maybe you don't even want to write your name on it, God still knows and we can pray for you. Or you can tell us what's going on in your life and we can pray for you and lift you up in prayer. Our staff, you mean a lot to us and we want to yeah, cover this ministry in prayer. So we have these orange prayer cards. Let us know what's going on in your life. Tell us a good thing. We can praise the Lord for it too. And uh, that's all I want to say about that. I'm just glad you're here. What a Sunday. We have a Romania meeting after this morning. So we have a lot of high schoolers going to Romania in a couple weeks. We're going to be doing like a culture thing. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be really happy when they find out we didn't buy them pizza. We bought them something else. So we always, so there you go. So documentaries, one of my friends always like shares a documentary. He's like, he's king of this. And he helps me out by keeping me updated on what's good. And he's got really good uh, taste in these things. And I got to watch one recently, and it really fit in line with what we're going. We're in Genesis, and this documentary kind of, I'm going to explain it to you, and it's going to hopefully help us this morning, because this morning we have a huge task in front of us. This documentary is called The Biggest Little Farm, and it's about a husband and wife, John and Molly, and they buy 200 acres of farmland outside of L.A., and they have 10 years of footage about this documentary. And he, was, he used to work with, I think, this BBC animal thing. But he knows how to film, basically. He brings in good people, so it's really high quality. And they just decide, they go to this really barren wasteland of really hard soil, a place that nothing's growing. It was an old farm, but it's, there's no, no life on this huge, uh, these 200 acres. There's no life. You can see that even in the promo, if you want to watch the promo later on. I think it's just offered on Hulu right now. Like, there's these big wads of dirt. Maybe your backyard's like that. You go back there and you're trying, maybe you're helping your parents out in the flower bed and you can't get past the top layer of soil. And that's what this is like. The sun, the California sun has dried up everything. Um, just like that, you know, cracked. You, maybe that's in your backyard, I don't know. Or maybe you have the thriving, no, Keats, we have like a Garden of Eden thing going on in our backyard. Well, great, let me come see that. And so... Stay away from this one tree. Anyway, um, ah, the Bible jokes. Hey, so this documentary, I do recommend it. Very, very good. What's it called? Biggest Little Farm? 
And they spend over, you get to see over 10 years of footage of them pouring into this land. And the whole idea behind it is they want to make this sustainable farm. So a couple of key words to when you're watching this, they want to bring in a lot of diversity. So they, they went into it saying, all right, we'll, we'll plant five different types of trees. And then the guy that came and helped them said, no, 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 you're going to plant hundreds of types of trees and crops. And you're going to bring in animals and a lot of animals. And you're going to make this ecosystem. They're like, okay. And so they started that and they had to change the soil. It's a big thing. Uh, worms help a lot. And so uh, you have to just watch it. I don't want to give anything away. And so those are some of the animals you'll see in it. It's a fun, it's a good feel-good story. It's a very inspiring story. Um, if you like a documentary and you want to feel, man, let's do it. If you want to like start a farm in the backyard, this is a great start to that, all right? Or if you want to get involved in Shiloh Field across the street like we talked about, this will get you inspired to grow and to, mom, dad, let's go to Lowe's. I want to, I want to change our backyard. And they're like, what? What year is it? I'm like, it's 2020. Everything's changing. Well, the whole time watching... And eventually you'll see they do make a sort of paradise, and that's not giving anything away. It's that's the whole thing. They they you have to watch the transformation. That's the story. That's the good stuff. You have to watch how they do that. It's really fascinating to me. And so everything has its place. Certain animals help even like the crops grow, and it just all works together. And when you watch it, now granted, they're gonna they're gonna say all this is because of billions of years of the earth figuring it out. And we would say something different. But it's still inspiring to me to say, wow, that is, that is still probably not what Eden was like, but that's a lot closer than my backyard. That's a lot closer than what I'm used to in the world. They make this like environment, and all things are working together, and it gives you some hope. You leave the movie feeling hopeful, and that's how they want it to be. You're like, wow, this is our earth. This is really cool. And it made me think of Genesis. We were just in Genesis um, these last couple weeks, and while I was watching this, I said, why can't, why can't everything in the world be like this? You know, creation works so well in this documentary, and you're going to leave thinking, wow, that's incredible. Why isn't it all, all like this? It's just perfect. Why is the world different? Why is the world different? And we're going to see that today in one chapter, in 24 verses, in one of the most important chapters of the Bible. And I'm setting it up, of course, we're in chapter 3 this morning of Genesis on our journey and chapter 3 changes everything. We have a great story so far. We have a great story. Chapter 1, we got, to, we got to look at creation. We got to actually meet some animals a couple weeks ago on stage. Or not on stage. That would have been cool. If I bring in like a... Anyway, we, like, we looked at a panda ant. I don't have the picture anymore. We like learned. Like God's creative. We were setting our foundation. We said, we want y'all to have... Man, just soar above the clouds. Like the tallest tower in the world. You need to have a good foundation. So we jumped in Genesis... To have a proper foundation. We're looking at the planks and patriarchs. And we first saw in chapter 1, right? The order of creation. The chronological order of creation. The seven days. But then last week, or two weeks ago. We had bake sale last week. Two weeks ago, chapter 2, kind of something's different. It's, it's creation, but it's zoomed in on one day. It's day 6, the creation of humans. And we looked at the word toledot, right? It means generations. Chapter 2 is, this is the generation of mankind. There it is. And now the rest of the Bible can follow suit. Adam and Eve were created by God. We got to watch, you know, Adam had a less verses than Eve. We saw, wow, Eve um, from the rib of Adam, she's equal with him. She's a partner with him. And they have it pretty simple in the beginning. They were created by God, for God, to rule over all creation. 
The order is set. They are to be over animals and work the field and to cultivate the garden and keep up the garden, these orchards and orchards God's made for them. There's only one rule. You can literally do or eat whatever you want. But this tree, God says, out of everything I've done for you, this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat from that. Got it? Got it. God is simply showing them that he knows what's good and right, and he gave Adam the freedom of choice. This is called the Edenic Covenant, right? It's conditional. It's based on obedience. So Adam and Eve need to obey, and they've got it good. And it's pretty easy. They've got so much to do. But as you grow up, and you can thank Adam and Eve for this, but because we were born into sin, but as you grow up, you know, sometimes the one thing you're not supposed to do, we kind of get drawn to that one thing. And you're like, well, if you wouldn't have even told me about that, I wouldn't have done that. And we're going to see why you were born into the sin and why we're inherently broken. One rule, just one thing. And death would only come from Adam's disobedience, only if he eats from this tree. And we set it up last week. Remember, we're saying, hey, this is great. Nothing's gonna, nothing bad should happen. Two chapters in, we're like, this is the greatest story of all time. They have it perfect. The humans are center of the creation. God's resting, man's worshiping. Take me there. They were naked and unashamed. We looked at that. Innocence. They have innocence. That's a huge word for today. Innocence. No shame. No secrets. No hiding. No worries. No problems. No pain. There's peace in the garden. God made paradise, and he instilled peace in the garden. Humans are the apple of God's eye, center of his affection. This morning, we're going to take a turn. All right, new character involved in our story. If, you'd, if you've ever seen our Trinidad drama, the music shifts, definitely. You know, and we have a guy dressed in a cape. Come out. We're looking at plank number three. If you could, if we have some charts up there. Where have we been? Oh, we're on one screen today. I love this. So we, we looked at creation humans. We're going to be in evil, plank number three, and redemption today. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you see seven planks. And today, we're going to be in plank numbers three and four. Today, we're going to see the reason why work is hard. We're going to see the reason why the soil gets hard. It gets, it's difficult to, to put a shovel into. We're going to look at hatred, where violence comes from, pain, shame, fear. It all goes back to here. In chapter 3, verse 1, it all goes back to here. The origin of evil. Welcome to DBSM. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Remember, Lord God was in intentional. It's a personal God. He's with his people, right? Lord God. It's a great name for God. He said he was more crafty. He said to the woman, did God actually say, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? We have our first theological argument already in one verse. Here we go. Two chapters in. Here we go. The first theological argument, and it continues on today with us. Did God actually say that? Let me, let me step back into my own reason 
and figure this out. I know he may have said that, but did he, what did he really say? And what about, and watch this, he says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see how Satan took away the Lord? He said, did God, he kind of made it impersonal, did God, what did God say? Not Lord God. He's being very deceptive. He's coming at her with his beauty and intelligence. Satan approaches Eve through this beauty and intelligence. I wonder if there's a lesson in that for us today, even just in that. And he's slowly, he's very subtle. He's already kind of distancing God from her in, in his words. And we're going to see soon that he's just going to twist and make this tangled mess of what God has said. He's going to try and distort the true words of God. And let's do a little uh, side project here. Let's learn a little bit about the fall of Satan, who, who Satan is. Do y'all know where it's found? In Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, this is a couple passages where um, a lot of people think this is talking about Satan. And as you can see there, he was a cherub angel. He guarded God's glory. Great job. He was beautiful and blameless. And that made um, him be kind of prideful because of his beauty and appearance. And that led to some pride. He was the highest of all the angels, but he still wasn't happy. He wanted more. He desired to be God and to rule the universe. So God cast him out and he cast him to earth. And you know, he's a fallen angel. And this is who we believe is approaching Eve here, the serpent. And there's a whole lot we don't know there. But this is what God has revealed to us in Genesis. And so let's continue on. That's a little bit about Satan. He's deceiving Adam and Eve here. Watch him still deceive. And here we go, Eve. Let's, let's see what she says in verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, this is good. She's going to recall what God said. This is good. Let's, let's fight. You know, when temptation comes a-knocking, let's have some scripture. Okay, great job. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, she's close. Does anyone notice what Eve has also done in this statement? Anything at all? What's weird about this? Did she add anything in? Yeah. God never talked about that. It says, oh, I can't touch it either. Yeah, yeah, why can't I? I can't eat it, I can't touch it. What's going on? You know, he's being deceptive. You sort of twist. You know, you like twist. Uh, you know, those, uh, one of your favorite donuts, maybe that, that, the glaze twist. Think of that when you think of Satan. He twists, distorts. I know it's funny, but really, hopefully that glues to your mind. Satan twists. He's already thinking, maybe getting Eve's attitude. Wait a minute, is God holding out on me? Hold the phone. What's going on? I want the tree. Okay, no. But you see how he's just trying to wedge himself in there and say, ha ha. Uh, God, oh, God, not Lord God. Maybe he's holding out on you, Eve. I don't know. I don't know. What did God say? She adds something God doesn't even say. Deception's sort of starting. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Circle surely there. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So here's the lie, all right? He's just kind of cruising along. And if he's a, there's debate on if he really was a serpent. Uh, you go read the book and tell me, okay? But if say he was a talking animal, that also leads you to believe, were there more talking animals there? It was it normal for them? Why wouldn't you say, wow, a talking serpent? Okay, I don't know. 
We trust God with that. But look what he says. Satan lies to her face. And I love how he says, surely. You can trust me. Satan says, hey, this is what he does for us in 2020. Yeah, you can trust me. He comes with beauty and intelligence. Say, hey, I got you. God, God really didn't mean that. I'm going to... God didn't mean that. I'm going to take something beautiful and I'm going to... I'm going to twist it up a little bit. So we have these lines of truth from God that God set in stone that are facts, things we got. You can eat of anything. You can eat of anything. This is good. I'm with you. But don't eat from the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't do it. Trust me. God's saying, God saying, trust me. I'm with you. Uh, have, there's peace in the garden. Like, I love you. Fellowship. These are good truths, lines of truth from God. And what Satan does so slightly is just get one at a time and say, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. It's kind of, I'm going to twist that up a little bit. He sort of meant, God, Satan's like, he's, God sort of meant that. God sort of meant that. He lies to her, poking at the very nature and character of God. So, verse 6, this is important. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this escalated quickly, and that it was delight to the eyes, she noticed with her eyes, delight to the eyes, circle delight, circle her, when she saw, circle saw, circle delight, and that the tree was to be desired, circle desired, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. The guys are, don't snicker, guys. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. We'll get to Adam later. And he ate. Come on, bro. What are you doing? Verse 7. Then the eyes, circle eyes of both of them were opened. And right innocence gone right above that. Innocence is gone. And they knew they were naked. And so what did they do? They tried to cover their sin. They tried to cover themselves. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And you could write next to that, humans covered themselves. We're going to get to that later. So what we have here, thank you, Griffin, for setting this up. What we had here in the garden was beauty. A little clap. Yeah, clap for your leaders. Um, God made us. We're shining bright. It's great. It's a lamp. Not that you're not a lamp. I need to make sure. It's 2020. You're not a lamp. But this is an illustration. So Eve took what looked good for her in her eyes... That's sin, by the way. James says, whatever you know, uh, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's sin. sin. Eve knew what was right and what was wrong. God was very clear. So she said, oh, that looks good to me. Satan was twisting and deceiving, twisting up these lies, saying, hey, you know, he, he was kind of saying without saying, God doesn't really know what's best for you. Listen to me. Listen to me. I've got it, like, I know what I'm talking about. He comes with beauty and intelligence and says, I will, all right, we'll leave that there. He says, I will, uh, I'll, I'll change everything. Eve, I got you. And what about Adam? Let's talk about it. The elephant in the room. Come on. Man was standing next to Eve. How about a, honey, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's have a five-second combo over here. This doesn't feel right. How about a little leadership? How about a little... How about a little, come on. Nope. Maybe he's just hungry. I don't know, it looks good. 
We haven't changed much. What's that? I'll eat it. And their eyes were open. In a sense, they had just gone, and something's different. So in your Bibles, I'm telling you to mark in your Bibles, if you're, there's nothing actually special in the pages, it's who, right, who's in the pages. Um, the, it's a story. It's God's story. As you can, my Bible is almost, yeah, it's been broken several times. You can draw a line. You need to draw a line between verse 6 and 7 because after everything and this line, things are different. Your Bible is different until Revelation 21. Every page, every story is now tainted with sin. It's different. You got to read it like that. If, if nothing's ever made sense, you're like, how could these people act like that in Old Testament? You've got to go back to this line and say, right, this is not what God wanted. But Satan screwed it up. And now the line of man and woman, as we're going to see, is changed. I promise I won't hurt your guitar. Bass, sorry. There you go. Like It's just it's distorted. And like we were a lamp shining, we had a purpose. A lamp has a great purpose. Shines bright. We're made in the image of God, but what the fall did in one moment, it's like uh, going from color to black and white. We get dimmed. We're different now. Something's changed. We fell. That's why it's called the fall. Something's different now. Eyes were opened. Sin has entered the world. Everything is the story's changed. It's a variable you can't get over. In verse, we were first deceived, and now we're going to see what does Satan do? He, well, he deceives and he, um, and he divides. Verse 8, hang with me here. This is where the story gets some momentum. And they heard the sound of the Lord. So they've sinned, and now watch Satan slowly divide this couple from God and from each other. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. You can circle hid themselves if you want. From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There's some irony in there. They ran into the trees. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And you've heard this taught before, right? God didn't need to. He was calling for a reason. He knows where they're at. But he's calling for a reason. God's going to go counselor in a little bit here. If you ever want to grow up. If a lot of you maybe want to be counselors one day. There's a verse in the Bible that's like the counseling verse. We still kind of ask it the same way. You'll see. I'm sure your parents have asked you this verse in a little bit. You'll see. Look at this. In 8 and 9, just hold the, just pump the brakes a little bit here. In verses 8 and 9, something's already different. What did Adam and Eve have with God before? Fellowship. Right. They had fellowship. Was there any fear involved? No, great, great job. My crew over there. Give them a shout out. Now where are they? They're hiding in trees. Something has already changed. Already you see the fall has changed so much. They hid themselves. They're in shame. They know what they did wasn't good. And call, God's calling, where are you? Where are you? Where, I'm just walking around here. Where, where's, my, where's my people at? Literally, you can say that. They're two people. Where's my people at? From naked and unashamed, verse 25... And a few verses later, now we're here. They were naked and unashamed. They were trusting God with no fear. Now they're hiding in some trees, very afraid. They're very afraid and ashamed. And God said in verse 10, I heard the sound of you. No, the man said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, God, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I, so I hid myself. And, that, and that's the story I'm sticking with. In verse 11, God said, well, who told you, wait, wait, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Have you done this? God, think about God. He's God. He knows everything that's happened. But he's approaching Adam and Eve. He's personal. And he's kind of pulling out the sin from them. Talking with them. But the man is asked a very direct question. And watch what he does. He had an opportunity. We call this an opportunity to do something he shouldn't have done. He should have done something, and he does this. The man said, well, God, the woman you gave me, um, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and so I ate. I think we've all been there before in some ways. Shifting blame. I mean, I know I've been there. I know I'm still there. It's easier just to shift the blame. No, 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 no. Cover your own, your own self first. No, no, no. It wasn't me. Over there. We're good pointers. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? And please underline that, circle, that's the counseling verse. What is it you have done? Your parents have probably asked you that before. There's a broken vase, there's a football, there's two of you. They come in and say, what is it you have done? (laughs) That was my grandmother's vase. How could you? What is it you have done? You're going to see this, there's the game, throughout the next 30-something chapters. I can't do math. There's 50 chapters. Throughout all the next chapters, we are going to see that phrase happen again and again. People are going to ask each other that, what is it you have done? And it's a time for you to come forward with your sin. This is what I've done. It's a counseling verse. This is when you go, you're like, hey, what's going on? What's going on in here? God's just, God's just kind of lovingly, still lovingly approaching them. Eve, tell me what happened. So he asked God, a, he, God asked Adam a very direct question. Adam, unfortunately, shifts all the blame to Eve, which God does not give Eve all the blame, even though he, he, he asked her that. It's to both of them. Don't worry, girls. You'll see. But we have the first marital kind of strife happen, this first division, division, division. Satan likes to divide. He deceives, and then he's going to divide you. Like water, when it gets into a crack in the winter, it, it gets in there and it freezes, and it just, it just makes the crack even bigger. It wedges itself like that. And this is breaking the bond of marriage right here. What is it you have done? And all, all Eve had to say, which she did, I was deceived and now I'm divided. I messed up. I, I took, yes, I ate. Yes. There's sin. Satan has divided humans from God. He's divided humans from each other. This is no good. He's deceived and he's divided. And that's what the enemy wants for you in 2020, even more so. And he's got a lot of tools to help him do that. He wants, you to, he wants to divide you up. He wants to split you up. He wants you to mess up by sinning. He wants to split you up. He wants you to mess up. He wants you to give up. And then he wants you to shut up. To be discouraged and to quit evangelizing. He wants you to feel isolated, alone. So you'll be discouraged. Then you'll stop. What I mean by shut up is you'll stop telling people about Jesus. You'll just, you're, you're done. You're just, you're done. He wants to bury you. 
He wants to deceive you, he wants to divide you, and he wants to devour you like a roaring lion. And watch what happens. Uh, I think it's appropriate. I, I like alliteration. I think the next D here is doomed. <laughs> I think that we're doomed. And the serpent's doomed first. The serpent, verses 14 and 15, the serpent gets judgment first. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed, circle cursed, are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Cursed. You're cursed. Now, hang on to verse 15 for a second. We'll come back to that. It's part of Satan's curse. Just hang on. But you love, uh, I think Tommy, when he took it to Young Guns, made this, little, this observation. I really liked it. You remember the verse 1 where it said the serpent was more crafty than anyone else? Well, now he's more, uh, he's more cursed than anyone else. He went from more crafty to more cursed. God wins. The woman in verse 16 gets uh, judgment. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Eve, you're going to now experience pain when there's new life involved. At every birth, you will remember this moment. With every new life going forward, there's going to be pain now. And it's going to be traced back to the garden. And now you're like... It's supposed to make you go read those pages and say, yes, we're broken. Something's not right here. All new life is now tainted with that reminder. And she'll, she'll desire to rebel against her husband. The light was on. The fall happened. And now we're, we're still made in the image of God, but we're still not what we're supposed to be. And the man... Remember how the, the woman got more verses about being created and, and the beauty? Well, the man gets more curses, or verses about curses. There you go. Um, and to Adam, verses 17 and 19. Hold on, gentlemen. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which commanded you, cursed is the ground because of you. You could circle ground. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face... You can circle sweat if you want. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. You can circle that phrase. To dust we shall return. Wow, Adam. So now work? We talked about that. Work is just not work anymore. Work is now hard work. It's now really hard. We sweat and toil. There's bad soil. Remember the, the, the documentary? There's bad soil. It's difficult. It's not what it was. We don't have that paradise anymore. It's similar, yes, but way different. The fall, y'all. And like a virus or poisonous gash unleashed, sin is unleashed on the world. And that's why things just don't operate the same. Our world is tainted. blurry it's blurry at first we now have this perfect picture of paradise and now it's distorted and it talks about that verse man shall not have this long life anymore so god's kind of shortening the life of man he's saying you're going to die now if you think of the book of ecclesiastes and solomon this is very similar solomon has some similar language here of just that repetition cycle 
and it all life seems meaningless, and then he, he talks about what is the true meaning at the end of the book. You should read it. We have the fall. Everything's different until Revelation 21. But when you think of the fall, we're going to get to some hope here before we dismiss. When you think of the fall, everyone, when you think fall, think all. Okay, think all, A-L-L. That we are totally depraved. And it doesn't mean that you, you sitting there, it doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're as bad as you could be. It means that there isn't any part of you that isn't a broken creature from the fall. You were born into this fight. You were born into this world. And so you fall short. All of you fall short. This is where Paul's getting Romans from. This is total. This is Romans chapter 3 here. You can write Romans 3. This is it. This is we're so depraved. And we inherit it from the garden to 2020. Born into this fight. We need an antidote. We need someone to cure us and save us. And some of us know it. But we're about to see it. In Denton Bible, we believe that in Genesis 3.15, we take that as the first sign of deliverance. In Genesis 3.15, we have deliverance. He says, God says in the midst of speaking to Satan, he says this about our state as mankind. To you, Satan, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We believe that this is speaking of what's to come one day. We call this the Proto-Evangelion. It's two Greek words. It literally means this is the first, uh, this is the first time good news is shared. First good news or first gospel. So first gospel, we take this to be in the garden here. And it is the announcement that God is going to take care of our sin one day. We know that to be through his son, Jesus. That God says, I'm going to send a hero to save the people from their sins. This is the good news. And it says, you shall bruise his head. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Which means Jesus is going to come. We take this and we know this Jesus. He's going to come and he's going to conquer sin once and all, once and for all. But his heel will be bruised as well. Because it's going to take him to the cross. And the enemy, Satan, I believe that he knew he was done. He had no chance. But what I, what I think about Satan and trying to use Judas and try to put Jesus on the cross is that, you know what? If I have to, if I'm going to be taken out by God, if I'm going to lose this battle, I'm going to make this rememberable and very painful for the Son of God. And that's where it led him. To Jesus on the cross. To deliver us from our sins. And we take this to be the promise in the garden. We call this Christmas in the garden. Where we've already been given innocence again. Jesus will come, as Galatians says, in the fullness of time. He'll come to rescue us. When God's time is full, you can trace it back here. And he's going to reverse everything. That Satan has tangled up. Jesus is going to come back, come to earth, and he's going to slowly throughout the Gospels untangle this mess and reveal more and say, no, you say this, but this is true. This is what God means. Jesus is giving us a way out. 
He's given us a rescue. He's thrown us a lifeline. He's thrown us a rope. And he's saying, I'm going to untwist all this tangled mess. I'm the son of God, he came to say. If you're thirsty, drink and you'll have living water. If you're tired, come to me and rest. You can basically, you can tie your soul to me. If your soul's on a horse, you can tie your soul to me and you'll have eternity, paradise. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is what Jesus did. He untangled this twisted mess, these thorns and briar, one strand at a time, from Eden to Bethlehem. And from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus fell on his knees and surrendered everything to God and said, I, you're in control. Your will be done. I will go to the cross. And Jesus was our sacrificial lamb that we needed to cover us from our sins. I say that because watch this last D here. As Adam and Eve are cast out, watch what God does and watch what we need. They're departed in verse 20. The man called his wife Eve. We've assumed that we know she's Eve, so we've called her Eve before. It's okay. But she was the mother, because she was the mother of all living. And listen to this, y'all. Verse 21. And the Lord God made Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve made for themselves covering, but God found it unsuitable. God says, I'll make something. I'll kill an animal and clothe you myself. I will cover your sin. Does that remind you of anything? Tommy takes this, Tommy believes that this was a lamb he killed. It doesn't say. It's fun to think about if it was. We don't know. But God killed an animal and covered Adam and Eve, saying, hey, I, go. <laughs> Literally said, go. Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now let us reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat. He basically says, verse 23, God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God says, this is not for you anymore. You're out here. Go. And we're going to pick up our story next week and you're going to see civilization begin. But you're going to see we're still tainted with this sin. And we're going to recall back to Genesis 3 throughout this entire series. And throughout every series. Because this is part of the gospel. That we're broken. And we need that antidote. We need that, that cure. We need the Savior, Jesus. Because in Christ, you who were once far away have, become, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He has broken our dividing wall with God. So that we might walk as undivided children for him. So this morning, don't worry about handling anything else today if you haven't handled that relationship. If you don't know this truth that Jesus supplies, if it's a tangled mess, come talk to us. But don't handle anything else today until you handle that relationship. Look up. And so that's your next step. As, before I pray, the only question I have is, what's your next step this morning? And my... My proposition to you is, I, I desire for you to finish the story yourself. I know we're, Keats, we're going through Genesis. Yeah, I got it. Just read ahead. You can jump ahead. 
You can start in Matthew. I would read Matthew alongside Genesis. Go read about this, this newborn king now. You can't jump ahead. It's allowed. Dive in. Saturate yourself in scripture. Know the story. But don't get lost just in the pages. Remember the person behind the pages. There's technically nothing special about cardboard and paper. But it's a story. Because it's real. Christ was real. He really died and he rose again. That's what we celebrate. Don't miss the Savior behind the pages. Look up and see Jesus, our hero. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these students. I pray that you would, yeah, go with them today. We'd realize that we, like this lamp, God, we're meant to, we're, we're meant to be different. We're meant to be more. But now we walk with a limp. That Genesis 3 is like, it gives us a limp. Like we're not all that we could be. And we're going to see that in Abraham. We're going to see that in all these different patriarchs that, they're, they're, actually, they're okay at times, but then they make a lot of mistakes. And they get themselves into some trouble because of their sin. And we're in the same boat, Father. We realize that. We're broken. But for those of us that, that know Jesus, we, we thank you for that sacrifice. That, yeah, you covered Adam and Eve in the garden, and then you did send Jesus... We believe it's because of Genesis 3.15 that only a few verses after sin, you gave us hope. You provided salvation only a few verses after sin. Thank you for being so fast to take care of us, to give us grace. I pray that students that are wrestling through what they think of God, who they think of God, making their faith their own and not their parents or their brothers or sisters or friends or their girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever, that they would make it their own and they would say, what do I believe? Are the ropes coming from the cross? Are they, are, they, are they twisted up in knots? Are they twisted? Are they, are they in knots and just out of sorts? Or, Father, are... Can we remember that truth? Can we remember what you've done for us? Can you remind the students of that you are the way, the truth, and the life? And that there's only way to the Father is through the cross. I pray that they would rest in that. And if their souls today are thirsty, they would simply drink. We ask that their Sundays be awesome and they'd be restful and also just productive. We pray that for the Romanian meeting, that it'd be smooth and, and awesome and we get to know each other better. We ask that in your son's name, Jesus. And we pray, amen.